Well, I'd like to welcome all of you to the start of Fresh Start and looking forward to spending some time with you around this theme over the next uh, four weeks of moving, moving past the past. Um, one disclaimer today, that is, if at the end of my message you think, wow, that's maybe too simplistic, I, I get what he's saying, but it's more complicated than that then I've probably led you down the right direction because this is just the foundation today. And then the next three weeks, we're going to dig into probably some of the things you're thinking about and and wondering about after we lay that foundation for the entire series in week one. So in 2005, specifically in August, 11 half years ago, Hurricane Katrina came and struck land on the southern coast of the United States in the north part of the Gulf of Mexico. This was the largest hurricane that had ever hit the United States. And while the storm itself caused a lot of damage, if you recall, the most catastrophic part of the damage was the aftermath, wasn't it? And all the waters that came flooding after the storm had gone through. And as we look back on that day, um, we recognize just how catastrophic it was. There was over $100 billion worth of damage and worse. Almost 2,000 people lost their lives in Hurricane Katrina. For a certain time, there was over about 80% of New Orleans that was literally underwater, including, including their most popular amusement park, called Six Flags Over New Orleans. We have a picture of it here. And so since that day in 2005 and the 11 years following, the citizens of New Orleans and of that entire area have done the best that they can to to rebuild and to kind of start over and to start fresh. But the reason why I bring up Six Flags Over New Orleans is that the the thing is, and some of you might have, have heard about this, but that this particular amusement park has been left untouched since the day of Hurricane Katrina. Too expensive to rebuild it. In some ways, the city felt too expensive even to get rid of it. It stands there. Here's another picture. It stands there untouched in 11 years as kind of a reminder of the things that happened on that really bad day in the life of New Orleans. And maybe some of you have seen some of these pictures online. There's even drone footage on YouTube of a a drone going through and kind of uh, giving us, you know, visuals of that park. It's a little eerie, isn't it, to think 11 years, and now this is the home to what I've heard are snakes and alligators and other wildlife. But you can, almost, you can almost feel like what it was like the day before, right? When it was better and kids were laughing and families were talking and bonding and friends were, were having a good time. As you might imagine, Six Flags Over New Orleans doesn't bring any of those feelings anymore to the residents around. In fact, for the locals, whenever they drive by the, the, the site now, I think there's a picture of that too, when they drive by the site on I-10, it's 
this reminder of a bad day. It takes them back to that bad place. And so the residents of New Orleans, they would rather get rid of Six Flags over New Orleans. They'd rather just, you know, turn it into a park or build something else there. Because every time they think about or see it, it makes it hard for them to move past the past. Can, can you put yourself in their shoes a little bit? Like if there was this, this big, you know, structure or building or area that reminded you, every, you walked by, drove by every day, it, it would kind of be a hard thing to do, right? Take you back to a bad place. Well, if you can relate to that or think you can relate to the citizens of New Orleans, I, I think that this series in a very real way, you're getting the idea behind it and the importance of moving past the past. Because sometimes it becomes really impossible to have a joyful, peaceful, fresh start until we get Six Flags over New Orleans out of there, right? Now, there's a little bit of explanation that I, I need to give you at the beginning of this series, and so it's gonna, we'll get to the scripture in, in just a, a little bit here. But I need to do some clarification. So when you think about getting past the past, I'm not saying that we should just forget about all of our past. So it, for example, if there's someone in the past that we miss, a grandparent or whatever, um, this series is not saying, you know, just forget about him or her, okay? That's, that's not this series. Or to think about the past in a way of learning from the past, um, we should absolutely do that too. <laughs> so for instance, when the city planners of New Orleans decided to sort of rebuild the city, okay, if they had not at all thought about the past when they were rebuilding the levees and rebuilding the city, that would have been just dumb, right? There are moments where we need to remember and learn from the past. I'll call that, for our purposes today, the past serving as a guide, okay? The past serving as a guide. In fact, we could have a whole series. Wise living. Don't forget the past, okay? But that's a different series. That's not this series. What we're talking about specifically in this series is when the past, I'll use the word, serves as an anchor to us. That when there are certain events, certain seasons, certain feelings about uh, events in the past that just like weigh us down so as to not being able to move forward in a healthy way, in a forgiving way, in a happy way, that's the type of past that Frankly, we need to move past to have a truly fresh start in a new year. One other clarification, you know, as I was thinking about um, myself and then thinking about all the different things that people could be going through or have experienced in the past, I, I came to realize it's, like most sermons, pretty hard to preach to a wide audience and hit all of their hearts equally, but We try to do that with all of our sermons, that there's application for all of you. And so I was thinking, so are there some things that as we think about the past and how it can be a a six flags for us, keeping bringing up these bad emotions, are there some things that we all have in common? And I think for all of us, if we have some emotion about the past that makes it hard to be healthy in the present or the future, It has to do with one of these four things. 
or it's at least related. That when you think of the past, the emotion rises up when you're thinking one of these things. It's my fault. It's their fault. It's no one's fault or it's God's fault. And I'm guessing if you're thinking about something that's your six flags, it's one of these four things that makes it hard to move past it. Now, a little bit of class participation for just a moment. If you want to blurt out answers, you don't need to raise your hand, okay? Um, I'm not that kind of teacher. Um, When it comes to the emotions that are elicited, when you're thinking about something in the past that's hard to get over and you recognize you've come to realization it was my fault, what becomes the anchor? What emotion? To health. I heard it over here. Guilt, right? Or some semblance of that, right? If it's their fault, and it's hard to get over because it was their fault, what emotion becomes the anchor to healthy living? Resentment. Good. Anyone else? It's related as well. Other Anger. Absolute anger. Resentment. Okay? That's, that becomes your anger. If it was their fault and they did me wrong, and it becomes this anchor. How about no one's fault? It just... It just, it is what it is, you know? And, and oftentimes, maybe if you're someone who isn't sure about the whole God thing, you know, you, you tend to, to at times find yourself in this category. What emotions come about as an anchor there? Um, like, helpless, hopeless, helpless, yeah. Um, like, like just, life's just random, you know, and can be an anchor. How about God's fault for those of you most of us who believe in God and probably similar to this one, right? Can be anger, frustration. Does God really love me? But I think if if the past is weighing you down, if in big ways or little ways, it's likely related, your emotion to one of these things. Now, I've got great news for you at the beginning of this series, okay? It's our first fill-in for today. It's this, that that the past does not need to be an anchor for you. really? I can have a fresh start? I can work through the past and be even more healthy spiritually, relationally than I was before? Absolutely. Now, here's, here's the caveat. It's not easy. <laughs> and after this series, it's not just going to be like a snap of the finger. And now, okay, you know, I'm healthy every day. It, there's some steps forward and some steps backwards. And there's days that we're off. But let me address those of you who might be thinking that I don't know if I have it in me to work through it. I don't know if if it's in me because I've been trying for years. Let me just say that it's okay if you feel that way. (laughs) Because here's the thing, and, and you'll get to know more about this through the series. The reality is, it's not in you. Left on your own, you can't do it. That God and his grace and his power and his plan and the understanding of his love, that's the key to moving past the past, and it's the key, that relationship with God, to this entire series. And so like I said at the very beginning of the service, um, my goal for you today, if there was just one thing for you to take home, is that a fresh start where the past is not an anchor 
is possible for you. It's possible. And that God wants it for you. To do that, I chose a section of Scripture where God is, Jesus is uh, having a conversation with one of his best friends <laughs> while he was here on earth. And one of his 12 disciples, his name was Peter. And before we look at the, the conversation itself and to really feel the, the depths of the conversation, we're going to have to spend about just as much time in the backstory, okay? So the backstory to the conversation we're going to look at is this. The night before Jesus died, sometimes we call that Good Friday, Jesus was in a room having a meal with the disciples. It was the night that he began the, the, the sacrament that we still do today called the Lord's Supper. And he also gave the disciples some direction about um, some, some things that were going to be happening in the next few days. And he gave them the, um, the I guess, hint that he was not going to be with them very much longer. This was going to be the last hurrah, the last meal they were going to spend together. He didn't give them all the details, so the disciples were a little bit confused. And Peter, being kind of the spokesperson, for better or for worse, John um, chapter 13 says this, Peter asked Jesus after this conversation, Lord, where are you going? So he didn't quite get it. Jesus was kind of just giving hints and clues. Jesus replied, where I'm going, you can't follow now, but you will follow later. Um, he's talking about heaven here, that Jesus is going to die, rise again, and then eventually ascend to heaven. And someday, Peter, you'll be able to, to be with me there. Again, kind of hinting at it. Peter's not quite getting it. And he says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I mean, wherever it is you're going, I can go. I will go. I, in fact, will lay down my life for you. And Peter, brash, confident Peter, gives this just really awesome testimony to Jesus of his faith and of his love. And he professes a heroic, I will, you know, lay down my life. I'll take a bullet for you, Jesus, type of love. Jesus reply, verse 38, Will you really lay down your life for me, Peter? Very truly, I tell you that before morning, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. For those of you who grew up in church or have read your Bible, you, you, you know how it went after this. Let me quickly summarize. Later that evening, Jesus was arrested. Peter's in the temple courtyard, and a young girl comes up to him, and thinks that she had seen him with Jesus before and says, aren't you one of his followers? And Peter, the one that's going to lay down his life for him, right, just a couple hours before, says, no, I, I don't know him. I'm not only not one of his followers, I don't even know him. And to make his point even stronger, because whenever you throw curse words into a statement, it just makes it better, okay? All right, I digress. No, it doesn't, okay? Okay. Um, I can get your point without swear words, okay? Um, he, but he uses that, still accustomed today, I guess, um, and to get his point across, and he does exactly what Jesus said he would do. And the last interaction that we have written for us in the Bible between Peter and Jesus before his death was a glance after the third time. It's like, hands in the cookie jar. 
You can just imagine how Peter's heart sunk as he remembered what Jesus had said and also what he, Peter, had professed. And, and the rest of the evening was kind of a blur, I'm sure, but it was filled with other emotions. He saw Jesus arrested. He saw Jesus brutally murdered on a cross. Um, the next day, he and the rest of the disciples are filled with fear, the emotion of fear. The day after that being Sunday, they're still scared, but then there's word that the body's gone, so he's one of the first guys to run to Jesus' tomb, and there's no body there, and now he's confused and hopeful maybe. Later in the day, Jesus appears without using the door, by the way, because he had risen from the dead and he had no longer the need for doors. He could just be wherever he wanted, right? And the disciples are at first fearful because they thought, didn't you die? This, I've not seen this happen before. And then joy-filled, starting to put the pieces together of what it meant for Jesus to be Savior, that he would suffer death and then rise again. But what about good old Peter? Where's his heart? I think it's all those things of the joy and the fear and, and a bunch of joy knowing Jesus is alive. But you know what's still there? <sighs> Six flags over New Orleans. Still standing. He hasn't had a chance to move past the past. The last time he saw Jesus was a glance after he denied him three times, denied knowing him. Now Jesus, Jesus knew this too. He, he knew how hard this must have been on Peter's heart. And so we have it recorded for us by another disciple, John, in his biography of Jesus, that, that Jesus decided to have a one-on-one -on -one with Peter. Because you know what he wanted him to do? To move past the past. You know what he wanted Peter to do? To have a fresh start. And so here's what happens. John chapter 21, after all this stuff and the, the, the day before and then the weeks, uh, I'm sorry, uh, this was probably about a week after Jesus' resurrection, so a week before, when they had finished eating, so Jesus was eating with the 12 disciples. This is post-Easter, after the resurrection. Simon Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me a lot? Do you love me more than others? Peter replies, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And so Jesus said, feed my lambs. Now, again, for many of you, you maybe have heard this section before, maybe, and yet there's a lot more going on here than you might think. And it has to do with the words that Jesus used here. So when Jesus asked the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? The word that Jesus uses is the word agape. Essentially, next slide, do you agape me? Now, let me give you some background on this. In English, we have one word, love, that denotes and is used in a lot of different ways. So like, you could say, I love my wife, and you could also say, I love pizza, all right? 
And you had better feel differently about your wife than pizza if you want a happy marriage, right? Okay? There's a little bit of a different level of love there, but yet the English, we're kind of hand-strung. We just have the one word, love. In the Greek language with which this was written, we see that they have different words, in fact, three words for love that denote different levels of love. And the word that Jesus uses, agape, is the deepest level of love. It's, it's the, the, the most intense. It's the, the type of love that would, would encourage a person to say, the, the night before Jesus died, I will lay down my life for you, okay? It's the... Uh, it's the type of love that the, uh, pro- the, uh, the well-known theologians, the proclaimers, once wrote this way. I would walk 500 miles and I would walk 500 more. I'm, I'm reading this like uh, it would be scripture. Just to be the man who walked a thousand miles to fall down at your door. All right, you know, it, it's that type of love. I would, I would walk 500 miles and 500 more. I would, I would die for you. I would do what, I mean, I'd do it all, right? Do you agape me, Peter? Now, interestingly, when you look back at that verse, oh, let, let's, let's fill in our blank first, I guess. The idea of agape is this. It's the, at the core, it's unwavering action. I would do anything. Let's look back at our verse. Peter replied here, you know that I love you. And in the Greek, he doesn't use agape. He uses the word philia or phileo, which is the second level of love. It, at its core, our next fill-in, at the core of that is relationship. It's like, I'm always here for you. It's like... Um, we're father, son, or husband, wife, and so I'm, I'm committed to you. It's, it's not necessarily as deep as agape, but it's, it's love nonetheless. Now, what's going on in Peter? Has his love for Jesus lessened? <laughs> it hasn't lessened at all. In fact, I'm guessing, now that he sits in front of Jesus, the only thing that's happened to his love is that it's grown. So why not say, I agape you? Why say, I phileo you, or philia? Because in Peter was working this reality. As much as I would want to agape Jesus, I said that once. And I didn't. I said that once. And I know I can't. In Peter's heart, I firmly believe. It's like, I wish I could answer agape. But what a hypocrite I would be. I can't do that. But I phileo you. I still love you, Lord. Next verse. Jesus said it again, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I, again in the Greek, phileo you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. 
Third time, Jesus asks the question. He said to him, Simon, son of John, do you? And interestingly enough, Jesus is really trying to get to Peter's heart and really to get him to think. And, and, and Jesus now uses phileo. It's, it's, it's almost like, okay, I know you can't agape me. We both know you can't agape me. But do you even phileo me? Peter was hurt. Not because Jesus asked him the third time, but because the third time he said, do you phileo me instead of agape me? And Peter by faith and through um, his love for Jesus, says, you know all things, Lord. You know that I phileo you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, wouldn't once have been enough? <laughs> it's like, really? I mean, six flags, New Orleans is in Peter's heart, and Jesus is kind of seemingly continuing to pick, or at least that's what it feels like when we read this. Wouldn't once be enough to get his point across? Jesus is helping Peter move past the past. Three times? It is not coincidence. How many times did Peter deny knowing Jesus? Jesus gives him three opportunities to now profess what Jesus knew was in his heart. Maybe he can't agape, but he can phileo. He has that relationship, the core of phileo relationship. And you know what else it offered? <laughs> Three times for Peter to hear what Peter needed the most in that moment. A savior and friend who is essentially telling Peter, I know you've sinned, but there is nothing different between you and me from before and now. Between you and I, we're good. Because guess what? Before this happened, I had asked you to go feed my sheep and gave you that honor of being one of the leaders of the Christian church. And after that, three times I tell you, feed my sheep, tend the flock, take care of my sheep. There's nothing different in between, between me and you anymore. There isn't. We're good. I'm a savior and a God of fresh starts where you don't need to bring your past with you. And in fact, I, I'm not sure necessarily if Peter noticed this or not, I, uh, but through the benefit of the written word, I had a chance to look. It, it's interesting that one of the last words that Jesus uses, next slide, with, Jesus, with Peter in this section, the last little phrase with Peter is follow me, which denotes you're part of me. I have no problems with you being mine, being associated with me. <laughs> it's interesting. It's the same first words that Jesus used with Peter at the very beginning when it really was for the first time a fresh start. And, and Peter didn't even know Jesus. They had no history. They had no past. And he said, follow me. Same, same encouragement. Because with Jesus not in Peter. Peter understood he could not agape, he could only phileo, but through Jesus, <laughs> there is the, the strength to move past the past, to move past the guilt of our past and all those other things. Our, our next fill-in, I think, is really important for you and is, again, not something that is just going to all of a sudden now 
the past is going to be easy, that thing, that, that six flags that's on your heart. But the, the route to a fresh start of moving past the past is to forget your past and to spend more time remembering his past. If you forget your past or your anger or your resentment, you spend more time of your heart and mind remembering what he has done, now you're in the right spot to have a fresh start. And, and this whole conversation with Peter and Jesus becomes even more powerful when you realize that Jesus is not only speaking to him about his love for, Jesus, for Peter, but he is actually standing there as the fulfillment of the love that he is professing. You know how words can be cheap sometimes? Jesus' words were not because he said, I love you always, and then he died for him and is standing in front of Peter post-death, post-resurrection and he stands before you today. He doesn't just say, I love you. He showed you it by dying for you and in my place and then rising again. If I could have one thing that I'd want for you today to have through this conversation and through my time with you, it's simply our last fill-in to just know, and you might think, okay, this is hard, and I, I can't do it, and I just know that a fresh start is possible. And the main reason it's possible is because you have a God who agaped you even when we don't always agape him. He is the God of fresh starts. Not to earn his love, but the God of a fresh start because he's already loved you. Next week, with that foundation, we're going to use this as a springboard. A fresh start is possible. You have a God of new starts and fresh starts. Next week, we're going to get practical because one of the things that we need to think about and do in order to move past the past is to consider owning our piece of the past. And we'll talk about that next week. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this conversation between you and Peter and the love that you showed, the forgiveness that you showed to him because I know <laughs> that through that love towards him that I, I can be confident that you love me the same way, that you love us the same way. Dear Lord, uh, today um, I give a special prayer of your love and comfort to uh, Tim Sexton and his family whose uh, Tim's mother uh, was uh, kind of abruptly called home to heaven. And uh, there's a lot of emotions there, I'm sure, in, in all the family. Just ask you to continue to encourage them with the hope they already have, which is the, the knowledge of seeing her again in heaven, and to give them an extra dose of your presence during this time. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, uh, we're going to um, gather an offering, and uh, we do this because all that we have has been given to us by God.